0: Hello, and welcome to Local and Vocal, a Green Bay area podcast. On the show, we'll be diving into what actions the city of Green Bay could be taking to get more people and families access and into affordable homes in the area. Joining us today are Terry Yang and John Shelton, chair and vice chair of the city of Green Bay's Equal Rights Commission. They recently released a report in January of 2023 called Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Happiness. Recommendations to promote equal housing opportunities in Green Bay. Tara and John, welcome to Local and Vocal.
1: Thank you for having us.
0: Now, this is uh, my very first show and recording, so I appreciate you both coming in here to our new recording suite here. But uh, yeah, can
2: we talk quickly about how exciting that is? This is awesome. Thanks for uh, thanks for doing this. I'm honored, and I'm sure Tara is too, to be the the, the first uh, couple of guests.
0: Yes, yes. You know, I ran into Tara uh, over at uh, the uh, Green Bay Mayor Eric Enrichs. Uh, campaign launch over at LiveX, and we were having a conversation and stuff like that. And um, the report was just released for what we're going to be talking about today. And I was like, "Yes, yes, I need to have you on." So, um, and this is an issue that I care about deeply as well. So, um, well, before we get into it, let's uh, introduce both ourselves here. Tara, we'll start with you here. Tell us uh, a little bit about yourself.
1: Sure. So, I was born and raised in Green Bay, um, and I went to school at UW Madison. And I came back home around 2018 to support my um, family's small business. We own a grocery store downtown Green Bay called Main Oriental Market. Um, And now I serve as the chair for the Equal Rights Commission.
0: Excellent, excellent. John, a little bit about yourself here.
2: Yeah, so I am a professor over at UW-Green Bay. I'm the chair of the Democracy and Justice Studies Department there. Um, And I'm also the president of the Faculty and Staff Union, UW-Green Bay United, uh, which uh, also uh, has me a position at the state level. I've been elected to be vice president of higher education for the American Federation of Teachers, Wisconsin, as well. Very nice, very nice. Oh, and I'm the and I was appointed to the Equal Rights Commission. Uh, I was the vice chair while this was uh, being written, but at our actually our last meeting uh, we had a new election, and so Stephanie Guzman is the new vice chair. Very nice. Still a commissioner though.
0: All right, well, you know, before we get into, you know, kind of the recommendations from this report here, tell us a little bit about the Equal Rights Commission. What is it? What's its purpose?
1: Well, the Equal Rights Commission was, it was, the Equal Rights Commission was um, a part of an ordinance, the Equal Rights Ordinance, that was created and and adopted into policy in 2020. Um, And what we aim to do and what our mission is basically is one, to eliminate discrimination um, within the city, and then also promote equity, equality, um, and just human rights. John, did you have anything to add to that?
2: Yeah, no, that that pretty much nails it. Uh, we're the first Equal Rights Commission in the city's history, which is amazing. Nice. Um, and, you know, I think one thing to – it's a little different than Equal Rights Commissions in other places. You know, some Equal Rights Commissions can, like, hear complaints, um, you know, and, and actually has some kind of legal authority – That's not how our ordinance works. So I would say, you know, our primary kind of power is the Equal Rights Commission is really the kind of moral authority of being the Equal Rights Commission. So, you know, it's really about the ways that we can elevate uh, certain things that are happening in our community and kind of bring them into the conversation. So, um, so yeah. Uh, Scooch up a little bit there. Um, So, um,
0: so tell me a little bit about kind of the structure, I guess, how this works a little bit with the Equal Rights Commission. How long has it been going now in place here and what's, I guess, so far, what's been its kind of primary focus here? Because, you know, we're obviously going to talk about your guys' housing report here, but it does a lot more than that.
1: So we supported the city in a few different um, equal rights initiatives. So one was um, the Human Rights Campaign um, EMI score, which um, gives the municipality scores, um, it scores them on how inclusive they are. Um, within their their city and staff, and we supported the city in um, bringing their points from twenty eighteen. It was twenty eight points all the way up to ninety points in twenty twenty two, and so that really shows that um, the city administration, the mayor's administration, now is taking um, initiative to make sure that they're um, being really inclusive.
0: Why is this something for the, that is needed for you know a community like ours?
2: Well, um, you know, obviously, um, we want to be as inclusive as a community as possible, and you know, so uh, one of the th- so one of the, the things that we do kind of have the charge to do is to examine the overall climate of the city. You know, what it what it looks like for um, to be a city employee, and so uh, the Municipal Equality Index that Tara was referencing from the Human Rights Camp uh, the Human Rights Campaign uh, is something that different. Sit- any city in the country can, you know, kind of compare themselves to other cities. And so, you know, um, to be the kind of city that we want to be that that shows to the LGBTQ community, like, we want you here, we're gonna fight for you, you know, we want to have as high of a score as possible. And so that's a perfect example of the kind of place that the Equal Rights, uh, you know, commission can kind of step in and, and, and you know, lend some moral authority to that, that, to that effort. Very nice. All
0: right. Well, Let's get in a little bit into the report here that was released on Martin Luther King Jr. Day here. So, obviously, that was chosen for a good date mm-hmm. because of the prominence of it and um, the importance of him uh, in America here. But um, let's talk a little bit about, you know, why we're doing this here because let's talk about housing. I mean, what what exactly are we looking at here um, regarding market affordability access? I mean, what does the city of Green Bay look like here for housing and how bad it is? Because we all kind of know what that it's bad.
2: Um, okay, so the, the first thing, Terry, is, you know, um, when we were starting to meet as a commission and we were kind of talking about, you know, what are some things that we want to work on? What are some things that we want to kind of take a look at? It became really apparent right away that, uh, you know, this issue of housing was something that a lot of people in the community were talking about. So, um, you know, we, none of us are really on the commission are like experts on housing, right? I mean, we all bring kind of different levels of expertise to the table, um, but uh when we like heard from so many people in the community that housing was an issue and, and just did some like pretty cursory research into the, some of the reports that had been done on the state of housing in, in Green Bay uh over the past couple of years, it became really apparent that like this is something we need to investigate a bit more, right? And so there's been a number of reports. The city of Green Bay's done a couple. Um there was this report that just came out last year uh, uh called the Greater Blueprint the uh, Greater Blueprint and Homelessness in, in Green Bay. So we didn't feel like we needed to reinvent the wheel there. What we needed to do was to hear from uh, different folks in the community and how they were experiencing uh, some of these issues with housing. I mean, there's there's something like um, I don't have I don't have the exact numbers off the top of my head, but there's something like we're something like three thousand five hundred units short of low you know lower yeah. income housing in the, in this city, right? And this is not something that's just in our city. I mean, this is this is happening across the country. Um, but, uh, it's, it's increasingly becoming a problem here. And so when you look at, you know, I'm sure a lot of your listeners will be familiar with some of these, you know, U S news and world report things that come out about like the best places to live in the country. And Green Bay is one of the best places to live in the country. I'm firmly convinced of that, but this housing issue is going to make it, uh, it's going to make it so that, um, it may not be the best place to live, you know, forever, right. If, if we don't do something about this. So, we we were kind of looking at that from a macro level, but then decided we really needed to hear from some of these, you know, different groups in the community who might be experiencing significant difficulties, even more so than just like having, a, you know, issues with affordability. And what we really found was pretty harrowing, you know, um, and, and uh, I think Tara can probably speak to some of the things that we heard about. But it was, it was, it was very surprising, shocking even, even some of the things that we heard about the, the special ways that people were experiencing this challenge.
0: Can you expand a little bit on, you know, some of the things and some of the stories that people came, Ruth, because people came forward and also some organizations that work in the community also came forward and, you know, shared stories and, you know, probably gave some advice and recommendations. But tell me a little bit about some of the things that you heard from uh, regarding the people were saying about what's going on.
1: So um, in the past year, we held three or four different public hearings, and we invited organizations that worked and supported um, uh that did work in the housing field. And we um, came across, you know, some of the most vulnerable populations, such as domestic violence um, victims. We we talked to some of um, the newcomer immigrants, newcoming groups, such as like the Somali group. Um, we talked to um, the Howe Community Resource Center. Um, we, we had different um, organizations that we talked to. And, you know, one of the, one of, there are a few common common themes that we heard um one was the tenants and landlord relationship was strained um landlords increased rent without um proper notice um and then communication was lost Um, evictions were happening for domestic violence um, victims Um, and not only that i think another big um, theme that we heard through these public hearings was that um For immigrant families, they have larger families, and there's just not enough affordable housing that can support a large family, and landlords are not going to accept a large family into a two- or or three-bedroom apartment.
0: What was one of the most shocking stories that you heard from?
1: I think it would have to be Commissioner Hassan. He is a commissioner on the ERC, um, but also he's an executive director for COMSA, and his story that he shared at um, our MLK Day about our MLK Day event about how he emailed, he called, and he used all means of communication to try to connect with a landlord or this landlord company, but they didn't re- um, respond back to him until Commissioner Shelton stepped in, and so that to me spoke volumes. Um, there's, you know, we can't say for sure why they didn't respond to him, but he brought up the fact that maybe it was his name that was in the email that kind of gave them, that pushed them away from replying to him because they didn't want to deal with someone who was in the Somali community.
2: That's a good example. I have one that I'd like to add personally too. Uh, You know, one of the things that we heard, and this was kind of across the board from lots of different groups, you know, uh, uh, service you know, uh, services that worked with victims of intimate partner violence, um, refugees, immigrants and refugees, and that's Section 8 vouchers. You know, one of the things that we heard is that, you know, many landlords are reluctant to accept Section 8 vouchers, which are a you know legal form of, of income and you're not supposed to be able to discriminate based on that kind of income. Um, but one of the things that's really common is let's say somebody has section eight vouchers and they can use them to rent an apartment. Landlords often tell them that, you know, they have to have three times their monthly, uh, the, the monthly, uh, rent, uh, as a down payment or sorry, as a, you know, as a deposit. Um, and you know, you think about somebody who's in that position where they're using section eight vouchers to pay for rent. They're more than likely not going to have three times the monthly rent. I don't think I would have three the
0: stipulations, <laughs> of, you know he said they're getting around ways of yeah, and, trying to discriminate.
2: And so you have people that are sort of already vulnerable. I mean, you think about victims of, you know, intimate partner violence and, you know, they just want to after, you know, maybe being in a shelter, want to get their lives back on track and they can't find good housing and the system seems to be kind of rigged against them. And you know these are these are things that I think many of us you know who don't face housing insecurity never have to like really deal with. But you think about how this thing that really it should be such a foundational part of everybody's life, and you can't you can't access it. And you think about how much anxiety and stress that adds to people who are already kind of on the margins, and it's just heartbreaking. Were tenants involved with this?
1: So we wanted to be really. Um, we wanted to be respectful of their privacy because it could have the, the adverse effect could have happened if they came to speak with us and shared their experiences. They could have fell into this um, distraught relationship between their landlord, and we didn't want that to happen. So a lot of the times it was the organization or a leader from the organization that they were a, a member of that came to speak on their behalf.
0: What about landlords when it comes to this? Because I think a lot of people would probably be as we try to advocate for rights and, you know, like I said, just laying it out here, life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, we have to work with business. We have to work with landlords and stuff like that. What has that been for a perception or, you know, what, what have they thought about this so far?
2: So this is the, – the report that we came out with really is, you know, the first step in a conversation, right? I mean, th- we, we do have uh, a whole lot of recommendations, but none of these are like – you have to do this recommendation like immediately. Right. It's it's it's, you know, we looked at the situation, uh, held these hearings and, you know, came up with some recommendations that we think would be a really good starting point uh, for change. And, you know, we kind of made a conscious effort, not that we we you know, we opened up these public hearings. Anybody could come and speak there. Um, but, you know, we kind of made a conscious effort to focus on the needs of tenants rather than landlords because, you know, one of the things we heard right away was how, um, you know, the, the first of all, the law is heavily weighted toward landlords, um, and, you know, landlords' interests tend to be represented most of the time, and so we really wanted to focus on the interests of, uh, you know, the folks in the community and the kinds of issues they were facing. That's not to say that landlords, you know, aren't going to be part of this conversation. But that really wasn't our priority. Um, And, you know, of course, we'd love to hear from any, and we, you know, opened up these hearings to the public. But uh, there weren't really any landlords who decided to show up.
0: Well, let's dive into some of the uh, recommendations, and that's what these are. And these are going to be going before the Green Bay City Council here and a meeting coming up here. Um, And like I said, these recommendations are, like you said, a starting of a conversation here. And you kind of laid them out a little bit regarding some immediate stuff that the city can take some intermediate, and also some long-term recommendations. So let's start something with something immediate, obviously, that the city can take now.
1: So I think that the immediate uh, recommendations are reasonable. It's isn't; um, it's low cost, and it won't take a lot of effort um, to make sure that those are enacted. Um, one of the recommendations for immediate, um, I guess, one of the immediate recommendations is that we have the city hire a full-time person to take care of housing issues. Right now, we have a person that's contracted, but they are at max capacity, and a lot of the organizations aren't getting the support that they need for their members.
0: Um, let's th- think, uh, think about something about uh, like something more intermediate that is kind of that was kind of brought up here. Um, one of those is uh, trying to uh, uh, regarding some funding to pay for necessary repairs of rental units when landlords refuse to make some of those necessary repairs. How common is that for an issue?
2: So I, I think that's a I think that's a, a something that we heard a lot about. And you know, one of the things I would just in terms of like framing the recommendations, right? I, I want to kind of make this apparent because you know we came at this from the perspective of you know. As the Equal Rights Commission, you know, we we firmly believe that housing is a right that everybody should have, and and I think that's the that's a really important premise for understanding all of our recommendations. You know, like I think the way that things have operated in the city for a long time, and it's and it's not um, it's not unique to our city, right? But we're the Green Bay Equal Rights Commission. We're not the United States Equal Rights Commission, so we're focusing on things here. But I think the in general the way things have worked is. Um, hey, when there's uh, money to invest in housing, you know, we're going to subsidize development. We're going to subsidize the private profits of developers. Um, and, you know, if, if that happens to lead to a few affordable units, hey, that's good. Um, but that's not really the priority. And so I think what we're saying is, you know, uh, let's put the interests of renters first and foremost. And, and, and you know, potentially first-time home buyers too. But to ensure that, you know, if we really want to do something about this and ensure that everybody's rights are actualized, we need to act like it as a city. So I just wanted to kind of say that before we, you know, kind of get into the recommendations. Now, one of the things that we heard, uh, you know, and and I'll just use the example of intimate partner, uh, victims of intimate partner violence, right, is that uh, it's difficult to find housing. We've already talked about some of the impediments, you know, especially if they're using a Section 8 voucher, having to have like three times the amount of rent for a deposit, And so when uh, somebody is able to get a unit, right, and they're able to to have that stability for themselves and potentially, you know, uh, dependent children and and trying to get on with their lives, uh, they really don't want to have to move or get evicted, right? And so one of the things we heard from some of the service organizations is that it's it's pretty common for some of those landlords in those kind of situations to basically drag their feet on making necessary repairs. I mean, one of the uh, issues that, or one of the examples that stands out to me is an example of a landlord who like wouldn't fix a clogged bathtub, right? And so you think about that being the only place where somebody can can shower or bathe in a house and the landlord's not doing it. And the tenant is faced with this impossible choice, right? Of, of having to maybe, you know, push their, their, their landlord to a point where they get angry mm-hmm. and, and evict them. Uh, and, and, you know, Or have a a stable place for their kids to live. And so, you know, one of the reasons that recommendation is in there is because we thought, you know, we we heard, say, service organizations would jump in and and really try to kind of push a landlord to do this. They don't really have a lot of power in that situation uh, except for this persuasive power. But in an instance where that's not happening, having somebody to be able to go to the city and say, oh, we know there's a fund to basically, like, pay for these repairs Uh, That could be a, that could be a way it's, it's really kind of a triage option, right? It doesn't, it doesn't change the power dynamic between landlords and tenants, but what it does do is it gets that person's situation solved quickly. And, and that's, you know, one of the things that as an, as an intermediate recommendation we'd like, we think could, could really, you know, make people's lives better.
0: Zoning is one of the things that comes up when it comes to that, you know, obviously a city, its tax base is very heavily dependent on our residential homes, Assessing their value, stuff like that. So it's never really in the city's interest to have lower income housing and affordable housing because the tax base is then not there. So what are, it comes to zoning, what are we looking at here for some of the recommendations? A little bit on you know mixed use development, mixed you know and how how our neighborhoods look a little bit.
1: So when it comes to zoning, what I'd like to see and what I think that has been proven effective in a lot of different cities is to make sure that we have community amenities that um, are going to be useful and resourceful for children. Um, we know that housing, there's been studies out there that um, if a child has lack of, um, of quality housing, their education is going to um, dwindle down and they're not going to be as prosperous which you know again comes back to our city the future of our city if we want to see the future of green bay be a place that is developed and has is busy with tourists and attractions and the people here have are, are you know their well-being is is good then we need to to make sure that we have this secure housing or affordable housing and so where that starts is When you're going to build a development, you have to make sure you have amenities and resources like a library, school, a park, all those little necessity things that just make a child or that supports a child's growth. You have to have that. Um, And, you know, I'm not opposed to mixed-use buildings um, to have commercial on the first floor and then apartments on the top floors. I'm not not opposed to that. But if you're going to be doing that, you have to make sure... There's resources around you.
0: Yeah, you're building a, a village, a community, you know, a home. You know, being able to play at the park or something like that. You know, in my neighborhood, there's no park. And you know, I've got to cross a major street, West Mason, <laughs> in particular, to be able to get to that. But having those amenities. But I know my kids can bike to school. You know, down there, they got a park down there. But I got they got to bike a little bit ways. But grocery stores nearby and stuff. So
2: if I could add one thing to that quickly, you know, I I think I'm not sure that I necessarily agree. I I, like I see your premise, but I'm not sure that I agree that um, not having or, you know, keep excluding low income housing is necessarily antithetical to having a robust tax base. Right. So one way to look at that is, you know, you think about some of the employers that we have here in Green Bay. I think about a company like JBS. Right. uh, Who employs, I don't know, probably a thousand people. Um, you know, if, 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 uh, that company doesn't have workers who have affordable housing and they can't get workers to work at their, you know, at their plant, you know, then that company maybe decides to go somewhere else or other companies might, who are thinking about relocating to green Bay, there's not enough affordable housing. They don't come here and that's going to have an impact on the, on the tax base as well. So like, this isn't something that I study extensively, but to me, that seems like, you know, another way to maybe kind of natural link. Yeah. Yeah. Another way to kind of look at it um you know and and so i think um you know it's it, it's worth as a city kind of having this conversation i mean i know that the city's already th- like the Ginrick administration's already thinking about zoning reform the the idea that we had for zoning reform actually came from a city of green Bay study from 2019 so these are conversations that are happening i think what we wanted to do was say let's continue to push those conversations again none of us are experts on zoning but we should be th- again if you take the premise that what we want is to ensure everybody's right to housing then thinking about zoning reform, that needs to be kind of in the mix. And let's prioritize that instead of prioritizing other things, you know, when we're thinking about zoning.
0: We always come back, we talked a little bit about kind of like a a fund to fix, you know, stuff like that. But things always take money. Mm -hmm. So what what are some of the recommendations when it comes to some of the investment long term that we can put into first things to make some of this happen here? Because everything always takes money to do.
2: Well, I'll, I'll start. I mean, you know, I think, um, you know, we've got a couple of recommendations here. I mean, one of them is to pass an affordable housing ordinance, you know, that's modeled on one that already exists in uh, Bloomington, Minnesota. And, you know, what that mandates is that when developers come in, you know, they, they are simply have to create a certain amount of uh, affordable housing. And, you know, if you, if you think about it in terms of the tax expenditures that we give to development, that seems totally logical to me, you know, like um, if we're thinking about public funds in particular uh, for housing, then it's in our public interest to ensure that we have more affordable housing. That's a, like like we were saying about the city's tax base and diversity and, and, you know, economic livelihood. These are all things that we should be thinking about. And so uh, to me, it seems, you know, pretty uh, logical to, to think long term about, you know, how we you know, get developers to, you know, put their money, you know, where their, where their, you know, kind of intentions are. Uh, so that's one thing. But, I mean, I think, and you know, we also have to think, and, and I want to be very honest about this. I mean, and we, we talked about this in the commission. You know, there's some, there's some things we can do around the margins. Like, um, you know, the city already has a, a, a program that they just announced last, last fall, the Genric administration uh, to incentivize uh, first time home buying with down payment assistance. That's great and we should expand that. But I think long term, we need to be thinking about and inv- you know investing in public housing. Um, you know, because public housing, uh, you know, we'll have to accept uh, section 8 vouchers. We'll have to put you know a f- like literally affordable housing because it's the p- purpose isn't to make a profit, it's to effectively be a public amenity. And you know we don't have to do the kind of you know failed public housing projects you know that people kind of think about when they think about popular culture. There's you know sort of smaller scale different kinds of projects. There's all kinds of different ways to think about that. But I think um, you know again we subsidize lots of private development in this in this city and in, in this state and this world. And and let's think about subsidizing the the the, the people who uh, you know need housing. Let's, let's, let's put, make that a priority. And I think, I don't know exactly what that looks like. Um, You know, uh, that's a bigger conversation. We're going to have to, you know, think long-term about this as a city. I think in the future, there's going to have to be people who run for office on some of these big ideas and and really, you know, kind of push the boundaries of the sort of conventional wisdom but i think people are going to do that in this community because this problem's not going away whatever happens in the next couple of weeks with you know this report it's not going away and so some of these bigger conversations we're going to have to have and i and i think there's a lot of people in our community who want to have them and might want to get involved in in politics as you know kind of using these um, some of these ideas as a as a springboard
1: yeah and to to echo what john was saying i think one of the ways that we can shift the dynamics of um, the housing crisis or any, any issue with marginalized communities right now is to make sure that we get rep, um, a fair representation at decision-making tables. Um, and, and also I think that, um, you know, we can make a lot of change happen um, if we work with the right partners, developers, investors who have equity and equality at the forefront of um, everything that they do rather than um, profit.
0: As we kind of wrap up here, anything else? that comes top of mind that we should uh, just dive into for a moment uh, or mention or anything like that regarding anything on this. And then kind of, I guess we'll wrap up on, you know, this is a call to action as well because these are recommendations that are going before the city here. So anything else that we want to toss in here?
2: Yeah, I I have one thing. I mean, you know, you kind of mentioned this at the beginning that it was intentional that we released this report on Martin Luther King day. And I just want to come back to that for a minute because, you know, um, Uh, Every January, you know, we have a conversation in this country uh, where we remember Martin Luther King and and his fight for civil rights. We don't always get into um, what he was really fighting for. Right. And, you know, uh, he's best remembered for the I have a dream speech and, you know, this idea that uh, people will not be judged by the color of their skin, but the content of their character. and, And, you know, that's true. Of course, we all believe in that. But, you know, King was a staunch advocate for economic security for all Americans. And, you know, I think uh, what we were trying to do with this housing report was very much in line with that, right? This is, in other words, what I'm saying is, you know, racial justice, racial equity, and economic security, the fight for something like housing, these things were linked for King, and they should be linked now, right? It's not an either-or choice where we have, you know, racial justice or uh, economic security for everybody who works for a living. It's a both and, and, and for that reason, like I'm tremendously proud that the commission decided, you know, to, to um, you know, have this conversation on King Day. I think it's a it's a nice way to kind of honor uh, the things that he stood for and, you know, what it means to be an American. I mean, to me, when I think of the quintessential American, uh, which is, you know, somebody who takes the premise of American democracy and, and pushes to, to, to hold our nation up to its ideals, I think of King, and so you know, I, I was I was really honored to be able to uh, do that on King Day, and I, I just wanted to like really kind of make sure that was clear.
1: Thank you for that, John. Absolutely, um, and I think for me, my last thing that I'd like to say is just that it might not be you that's experiencing homelessness today, but tomorrow it could be. It could be your loved ones. It could be your friends. So. It's in everyone's best interest to make sure that we put in place and um, put policy or we enact policies that um, support affordable housing so that everyone has that right and need um, taken care of.
0: Now, this is going before the Green Bay City Council here very soon. Um, So what are we asking for people to do uh, regarding, you know, showing support for this or not showing support for this, I guess?
1: We'd love to see people come and speak um, upon their um, experiences and also share um, what they'd like um, to see the city and city council do. Um, I think that I've heard a lot from different community members that um, they want to see um, some type of um, platform that tenants and landlords can communicate um, uh, civilly and so there's a lot of different recommendations that community members have that we don't have in this report, and I want them to come and speak on that at, at this event. But also, I want this to be a movement. I don't. Um, I I hope that they show up on the seventh, but they continue showing up until there are actually things put in place, um, policies and put in place to to make sure that they that there's affordable housing here.
2: Yeah, and I, and I think our city council. Um, you know what we'd like the council to do. Uh, on Tuesday, February 7th, is to vote to instruct the city to consider these recommendations. Now, that doesn't mean that all of this, you know, that, that the city of Green Bay is going to enact all of these recommendations immediately. I mean, they can't, right? I mean, an affordable housing ordinance is going to have to be an affirmative step that the city council takes, and it's going to take some time and consideration. It's not something that's going to happen overnight. So, you know, what we really want to see the council vote for is effectively to say, let's open this conversation in a very serious way. We don't expect that all of these recommendations are, you know, going to be uh, enacted immediately, or some of them ever. Um, so what we want to see, as, as Tara mentioned, is for folks to who support this, who want to see this conversation happen, show up and let your city council members, you know, on at, at City Hall know that you support this. Know that, that you know, that you're watching them and holding them accountable for doing the right thing in this situation. And, you know, w- we think that uh, the city council will vote to do that. It seems like a no-brainer. Um we want to have as many people there as possible to make sure that happens. But even if they don't, that's not the end of this conversation. I mean, this, this, we've, this, is, a, this is a public document that you know, there's been a ton of media about this already. And it's, it's really galvanizing, I think, a very productive conversation. And so, you know, for folks out there thinking about running for local office, get a hold of this. Let us know what you think about th- this report. Um, and, you know, consider, as Tara said, being part of, you know, the first wave of a movement to really change things around this really critical part of our lives here in Green Bay.
0: Well, thank you both again, Tara and John for joining us here today. um, Our very first episode of Local and Vocal. Congratulations. Thank you, thank you. Uh, Trying to do this, trying to do this is always key. Uh, But nonetheless, help spread the word about Local and Vocal, a Green Bay area podcast. Uh, I wanna be able to provide something to the community they will explore newsy topics, have some great discussions, uh, take a deeper dive on issues, or get to know some interesting people that live and work in our community. So, if you have a tip or something like that, or for a discussion, um, feel free to email localandvocalgreenbay@gmail.com. Uh, make sure you also uh, follow and subscribe uh, local and vocal on Apple, Spotify, Google, and all your major podcast providers. Thank you. I left
2: the